Yes, you are. And it's a five, four, three, two, one. Hey, Alex Simmons. <laughs> Holy cow. We're at number 280, brother. Yeah, Tell I'm back too. damn story. Yes, because you, you handled the last one solo, right? You handled, yeah. Uh, more or less. The second part was both of us and our guests. But the intro was me. Yeah. But 280, here we are. Chris Ryan, yeah. Alex Simmons. That's right. Two, shall we say, veteran writers in one form or another. <laughs> um, this is our present state today, right? <laughs> yeah, this is it, bro. And yeah, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna talk today about as we tend you know, to do issues. Tell the damn but first, story, yeah, which ahead. is for where we tend to try and share some wisdom, experience, some do's and don'ts, some foibles and fables for emerging and aspiring and struggling creative writers. Chris and I are going to talk today about two things, two conditions or experiences that most writers deal with in some way, shape, or form, and one of them is. A writer's greatest challenge, and Chris and I are going to share one each of that. And we're also going to talk about, (laughs) (laughs) and we're we're also going to talk about a writer's superpower. And I'm, and that may sound nonsensical, or people might start putting on their their Marvel and DC T-shirts for this, but it's really about the one thing that a writer manages to pull on, or 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 snap on, or slip into. That allows them to get the job done. Um, yeah. So let's let's <laughs> just see what we have to share with that one. So Chris, you remember hit like and subscribe, ladies and gents. That's so right. You don't miss one of these amazing talks. Yeah, because <laughs> we have done two hundred and eighty of these. Two hundred and eighty. And we're still so smooth. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm smoother right here. Right. Really there good. you go. All okay. right. So challenges, huh? Yes, yes. What's yeah, one of the greater um, challenges you face, Chris? Sometimes it's self-inflicted. You know? oh, and to be really honest with yourself, that's how you that's how you get better as a writer. But hey, let's start this by saying, here's what I did my summer vacation. Ah, okay. <laughs> Today I just published number five of Soul Scream and Thalazine. That's five book-length collections since June. <laughs> five so, full-length collections, which is around a hundred and what pages per? Yeah, with with the exception of the first one, which was a teaser. Every other one has been somewhere between 120 and like 100 and or 200 pages around there somewhere. So yeah, and again, it's uh, collections of short, quiet hybrid uh, horror. So it's no, it's not extreme horror or splatterpunk or anything like that. I'm covered with cats, so I apologize if I seem <laughs> to be moving around on YouTube a little too much. And it celebrates the different genres that horror just accepts into it and absorbs into it and does so well. And on top of that, we have an author profile for each author. And then we have pop culture, horror-related pop culture essays, and a story with the cast who put out Soul Scream and how all of this affects them. So that's woven all the way through. And I just put out the fifth one. And the last story is really where all of this, if you've been reading along, this is where all of this pays off. Come together. The thing that I wanted to talk about as, as far as biggest challenge is burnout. Mm. Especially after the fourth volume, uh, I've had it really hard to 
get get through the second, the fifth one, because I was just so burnt out, and I had to get this one finished. That was you lock yourself into a mindset, not something you should really think about being a little more flexible on as a writer or a publisher or whatever. But I felt it was important to get this one out. And hilariously, I said to Glorious, my wife, I guess it was yesterday. There's a sixth volume that is planned to finish the, the story that weaves all the way through. The sixth one is really going to finish all that. That's called Annihilation. Mm. And I said to her, I said, look, I'm, I'm really not going to do much writing for a while. And that has proven to be a great cure for being burnt out. Because I think notes on or scenes for four of the stories that are planned for Annihilation and I have hired an, an artist to do some interior art and all the sketches are key points on those different stories. So all of this happened within the last 48 to 72 hours after I have said, I'm not going to write for a while. <laughs> so okay. cure for burnout. Usually I would prescribe giving yourself time away from the writing desk, go for a walk, go for a run, go shop, do laundry, watch some movies, read a book. I've done all those things to try and cure. But apparently this time, telling myself no, that has really worked. So that has been a huge challenge. And knock on wood, I hope that I continue rebelling against my vacation from writing. <laughs> let, let, let me probe that a bit because you said hey. a couple of things in there. Yeah, behave. You said a couple of things in there. One you took on quite a bit. Yes. That's a large load. That's yes. equivalent to a Michener novel or, uh, or better still, because you're talking about 120 to 100 to 200 pages. That's at least three Michener size novels here. We, we probably have produced between 450 and 600 pages total. Yeah. In that respect, 300 per, that's a couple of, of fat novels here. You chose to do that in what amount of time? Memorial Day to today. Okay. Now so I was gathering the stories and all that stuff, but to quote Richard Price, uh, so we were talking to him about writing one time and he said, look, Here's what you really need to know. Most of writing is ass in chair. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. That stuff. So whether I stand at my desk or, or sit, it is that focus time has been from after Memorial Day weekend until today uh, that I produce that much. And again, is that a normal goal? In other words, I don't think so. Yeah, we're just trying to pinpoint here uh, a, a writer deciding to write a novel, let's say, as opposed to a short story or yeah. a flash fiction. They're going to write a novel and it's 45,000 to 80,000 words. Yes. Trying to do it in that amount of time, unless you're Maxwell uh, Grant or Walter Gibson in the, shadow, or, or the uh, shadow, is that normal? Is that average or is that ambitious? It's actually, I, I think it's ambitious. I also think it's tapping into 
my roots, I cut my teeth on weekly journalism in the Bronx. And by and large, weekly journalism in the Bronx is one or two people filling the entire newspaper. And I worked for the Bronx Times Reporter, Bronx Press Review, 9-11, the Bronx Bulletin. And uh, all those times, you average somewhere between a 24 and 28 page newspaper that looked like a tab, it was tabloid size. And that is a lot of writing. So I would average between 10 and 14 stories a week, mm. plus proofreading and, and, and whatever else and running out to get the story and interviews and all that stuff. So I had learned how to write quickly, fairly efficiently, rewrite on the fly and to not become precious about the words. It was serve the story. What does this story, what, what's missing from this story? And I still use those skills again. So part of this was to try and get back to the skills that were sharpened, you know, 30, 35 years ago. And, and that was part of the, and the other thing was a drive. I wanted to create a series that would be a little different. And I wanted to have the foundation of it. Hey, look, you, you can, those of people who are interested love to read things in sequence. Boom. So now there's five. I think there will be six. That may be it. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what reaction, if any, is. But also the next thing that is in final reading is the reboot of Mallory and Gunner. That's been long overdue. What I'm trying to do is get all these independent plans and projects out so that I can truly do hybrid. I did not anticipate the burnout. And because you're you a know, human. <laughs> so yeah. how dare you? So perhaps it was a foolish pace, but it was a fascinating challenge. And now I know I can do it. Now I know I can work at a pace that can produce material. And I know I'm willing to hear from anybody. Read one of the volumes. If it sucks, then educate me. But the people who have been beta readers have been surprised at the quality of stories that I got and interns, the assistant editor, we are populating this with four different voices mm -hmm. and moving a story around all the other stories. It's, it started growing under its own steam. And you know what happens when that kind of thing starts. Now you want to know where the character is going. Mm -hmm. And I consciously announced to Glorious that I, I needed to take a break from that. But today she had a day off. So we were going to go and enjoy the beautiful day. And we took the dog for a walk. It's about it. It's a three mile walk next to a reservoir. We're going by a body of water. We're calm. Mm -hmm. And a nice walk with the wife of 37 years. And talk of things. And no, what I was doing was dictating story ideas and scenes and dialogue and i would check with her and she was not oh, that was amazing keep going <laughs> and now gloria says now oh that's amazing because she spent almost three decades as a pre-school teacher and her default is to encourage <laughs> but in pressing her a little bit 
she's been with these characters as long as I have. And while shocked at the turn it's taken, now is a very encouraging day on a day when I was doing no writing. Yeah, you mean your fingers weren't hitting the keyboards. Yes. Yeah, I consciously announced I am <laughs> not writing for a while because I'm yeah. burnt out. Hopefully that's helpful to other people who are a little burnt around the edges. Take the time, go and read a different book, watch some. Well, I was watching old Buffy episodes. I was watching, oh my God, what a mistake. I was watching the news. Oh, you know, yeah, you don't want cable do news, which cable news isn't really news. It's just a bunch of heads talking in the arena that they want you to think. No matter which news channel you watch, it's just a different set of believe it this way. No, believe it this way. And that was a deliberate waste of time. Yeah. So Our maybe that filled that. me up. Maybe desperately I was like, all right, I got to come up with something. But moving away and then consciously telling myself not, nope, you can't write, seems to have kicked in the rebellion gene. And uh, hopefully that helps some people. <laughs> How about you? Pretty darn good. I have a, a, a couple of stories. So I figured I'll just tell the first one. And if we have time and all that, maybe I'll go into the second one. I was saying to a student of mine today that who we are, what we're, what we've experienced, what we're going through, what we feel definitely impacts on our writing or some of our creativity filters through these things. And so subsequently being human beings, no matter how much we may try and deny that personal stuff, un, unfiltered and unresolved can impact on the writing. So I would say there was a time period in my life fortunately, a number of years ago, that I couldn't write for almost three and a half years. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was a difficult time. There were family concerns. I was, I was a struggling artist in that I'd done some theater, I'd done some voiceover work, I'd done some writing, I'd done all these things, and none of it was really lucrative. And so I was also doing uh, part-time jobs and things like that and doing a bunch of after-school workshops and things, anything I could do legitimately and ethically to make money. And it was still pittance. And yet I was responsible for pretty much, you know, a large portion of the family income and their children involved in all that. And truth be told, the more you feel that you fail at providing for your family and for your loved ones, the less you value yourself and your abilities. Yeah, yeah. And that just impacted on me so much that it got to a point of where I might have an idea for something. <clears throat> and I, you know, prior to that, I'd written comics, I'd written a play, I'd written some children's stories. That, but no, my my brain just locked. And the moment I would have an idea. It wasn't even that I would say, oh, that's a stupid idea. It was almost like it came in and it got and lost left, in yeah. a fog somewhere. I couldn't project it beyond that wisp of a thought. And then I was tired or right. distracted or it just melted into a void. And so I just was focused 100% on A, trying to make money to take care of bills in the family and be feeling like a failure. And that went on, like I said, for several years. And I was shutting myself off from a lot of things that I 
might have done uh, in terms of an average kind of enjoyment thing, nothing you know elaborate or lucrative, uh, but you know just certain people that I knew or movies or things. I was just focused on those sort of troubling scenarios, and you start to convince yourself that you're also that you probably can't. You probably whatever writing you did that was accepted, that was paid for, that was professional, it was an accident, it was a fluke you were lucky you, you got over on somebody and that you probably can't do it again and what happened was I had one of what I call one of those Bruce Wayne moments so what happened was I was sitting one evening and at a very low point very low point and just really feeling miserable and it suddenly occurred to me and it was it's literally it's like a volcano erupting or like a, a just suddenly a bright light cracking through the darkness that I'd been denying my passion. I don't mean to say just follow their passion, but what I was denying was that I honestly was good at was storytelling. It had affected ever since I was a child. That's what I did in school and, and crafting and all of this stuff. Art was what I was supposed to be doing. Not not that you can't take some sort of job while you're trying to build your art career, but to deny the art, to just claim it as something that was a waste of time, that is part of what had shut me down. And the moment that I recognized how much I loved the creative arts, in particular, I loved storytelling and niching down. I loved filmmaking. I loved mystery. I loved characters that had a purpose and they were going up against something good guys and bad guys all of these things i was truly put on this earth to ponder and explore and to share my thoughts and feelings i'm not saying i was a genius at this i'm just simply saying that was what i was meant to do right the moment this thought just exploded in my brain it was like kicking the door in there was this stampede of ideas, just this torrent of thoughts, and they and I did they come? Do they get out of the fingers? They it started in the brain and started right. with just like literally. It's like one of those sales at Macy's, you know, right. when they open the doors at nine a.m. and people are coming. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I was hearing multiple bits and pieces of ideas. Some that I recognized that I had way back. Thing reminded me of something that I'd written as a kid. There was this other story that I'd come up with that I'd never, something I did with my friend. It was like, it was just a flood. And it was that evening of jotting down some of these things. And I think at that time, I also had one of those, uh, we don't use them anymore because we have phones, but I had one of those pocket recorders. And I started rattling off some things into that. And that was it. That was like they, the prisoners escaped the dungeon. So it was and, it was a recognition of a truth about you. Yeah. Yeah. After all that denial. Yep. And that's yeah. 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 And again, being people, we have sometimes we are our worst enemies. Sometimes yeah. we are our worst critics. And so yeah, that was what sort of like I said, it was like the prisoners escaped and I was free once again. I I want to support that with one, two, three, four, five line reading from Stephen King's new book, Holly. Oh, okay. One of the characters is a poet. And in the middle of this book, these words appear. The work matters. Nothing else 
not prizes, not being published, not being rich, famous, or both. Only the work. And it just leaped out at me. So I took a picture of the page and knocked just that thing out, just those lines. And I, I, I put it up on social media. Mm. And just usually when I put something like that, uh, I only write something like this. Or I may have said this comes from Stephen King's you know, wise words, inspiring words. Or something like that. And someone with more success than I have responded and said, mm. easy for him to say. Oh, jeez. And I, with respect, I, I responded. I said, with respect, I think that misses the point. Whatever. A lot of us, a lot of us don't get there. But you have to have, if that's who you are, you have to recognize that it's about the work. Yeah. I would add to that, that at this point in Stephen King's career, he doesn't need to make those kind of statements for content or publicity. He wrote it because he believed it. Mm. This guy does never needs to put finger on keyboard again, and he will live doing anything he wants for the rest of his life. And his family is set. So what is left to drive him but the art? The work. It's a revelation similar to yours that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I hope that quote and that your story inspires the other people out there to understand that if your drive or if your calling is honest, that in and itself is the answer. You got to... You have to be authentic. When I was a high school teacher, that was the hardest lesson to get across to seniors because they have already conquered the world. And <laughs> they would you ask them, and they all are going to be CEOs or NBA, NFL, any of those. Super recording know, stars. Yeah, or influencers. The last five or six yeah. years, they were going to be influencers. And... I always try to drill into them. Like the most important thing is that when you get up in the morning or whatever, and you look yourself in the mirror, you can stand to look yourself in the mirror. Yeah. That that you can look yourself dead in your eye and be okay if you're truly you. Everything else. It's secondary. And people might say, look at you sitting there with a bunch of books behind you. And that's easy for you to say, no. I'm and that's always a statement of people who don't recognize or wish to recognize the amount of work that went in producing the books behind you. Yeah, but Isn't that a they bite? haven't made me, they haven't made me rich. No, but, but that's, still not, worth that's not doing. the point. That's not I, the point. I, I, I haven't with spoiled you. Neither have you spoiled no, your children that's, that's with the I'm riches saying. of avarice. You that's know, it's, what I'm it, saying. It, it's, it is, it's it is not key, that. It is key that people recognize that whatever we have, we earned. We worked for it and we earned it. Whether or not we have a Maserati or not is not the point. Right. And even more importantly, at least for people like us, there are other people with different motivations and different goals. Okay, no problem. No, no harm, no foul. But 
for people like us, I have found, yeah, it would have been nice to have a fat bank account. That would not have been a bad thing at all. But I can also, and I know you can too, because we share these stories. We can look back on, on young people that we helped find their voice and find their way and encouraged and nourished them to a point where they went out and succeeded at something they wanted to do or needed to do because we helped them believe in themselves or helped them find a methodology that helped them pursue their dreams. And that's that's an award in and of itself. That's a That means we have not wasted our time here and that the work and the challenges and things that we faced that enabled us to be in that position to help them was also worth it. True, true. And there is there are many stories. And still, every once in a while, I see a former student on, on social media, or I was at my son's job the other day, just driving by, because my wife is a little nuts that way, and <laughs> stopped by, and it was, it was your godson. And he said, stop by, I'm going to let some of the students see our dog. And who ran out but two of the other teachers or two of the other employees there? Both of them former students of mine. There you that go. It's really cool. If you are doing what you're supposed to be doing and you are rich. Yeah. It's not about the money or the belongings or this or that. Now there's a whole other part of the world that not geographically. Yeah, right. Psychologically or mindset that say money is the only thing. And they're allowed and, to say that as long as they don't yeah, get And if that's what gets you up in the morning, and that's what you are, you can really look yourself in the eye and feel good about yourself doing that. And that's, uh, got, I got no argument with you, that's but that you will never be my lifestyle. So I, I, I'd like that challenge. <laughs> yeah, 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 please. Yeah, let me earn yeah. a little bit more here. Thank you, G. Yeah. Do you have another challenge story? Uh, or yeah, I, have, I have an anecdote that I agree with. Okay. I had for the Pulpster magazine, right? Pulp Fest out in Mars, Pennsylvania. It's mm-hmm. near, I think it's near Pittsburgh. There's a group of pulp novel enthusiasts that put on a con- convention and they have an on- online presence, pulpfest.com. And they put out a magazine once a year called The Pulpster, which goes out to con attendees and stuff. So I had the pleasure to interview jo- Joe R. Lansdale one of my writing heroes, and we were talking about... He's written not only books, but also television, right? Or Well, the, or a lot of his books have been made into television or movies or that kind of stuff. Right. Okay. Cold in July. Oh, what was the other one? Um, Wasn't there a series? Yeah, I'm looking for... Happ and Leonard is yeah. the... Yeah, Happ and Leonard and all that stuff. Then Making the Thicket right now, which is one of his uh, best novels and stuff. So on and on it goes. But we were talking about technique and we were talking about work ethic and all that sort of stuff. And he says, I didn't want to know, do you type or write longhand? And he says, I type, I type about three or four hours a day. I write about three or four hours a day. And he says, and I type all right, just typos, so many typos. (laughs) (laughs) And I was right there and making peace with, okay, that's part of the deal. And we'll have to go and clean it up. That's what your process is. Mm -hmm. You and I and Joe, far too set in our ways to take a typing class now. 
<laughs> but if any of you are out there listening and you're still in your teens or 20s and you can take a typing class, even if it's one of those online deals and get yourself quick, that's fine. Dictation, if you can get it to work for you. And there's a couple of different methods these days that can help your productivity. But eventually you're just going to have to deal with your output and polish it. And that's, if it was good enough for Joe, it's good enough for me. <laughs> so that's another major challenge. And you just embrace what you need to do what you do, you know? Yeah. So my other quick challenge is a shorter story. And it's one that, that still confounds me. And I can't give a specific name. So I'll just simply say that I was hired to do uh, a project, a writing project that the subject matter was something I'd worked on before. The time period was something that I delved into before. The research was not ex extremely difficult. The format was format I've worked in many times before. And yet, for some reason, for some inexplicable reason, meaning that I have not found the reason yet, it took forever. Every single bit of writing of that project seemed to be laborious. It seemed mm -hmm. to be, for some reason, something in me labored, just struggled to get out a page or two a day. It was uncharacteristic of me. There's still no explanation that I've been able to come up with for why that project became so difficult to write. Was it very precious to you, very important to you? No, not precious to me as in my baby. Right. A, I, I wanted to honor the, the people who hired me. I wanted to do a good job. I did not dislike the project at all. It's not, oh, God, I got to work on this thing. Yeah. It wasn't that. It was just that when I would sit to go to write, it would be like, okay, come on. just And yeah. it never flowed from me. Well, I'll give you two from the similar to that. I interviewed Ch Chaz Palminteri. Ah, Bronx Tale. Yeah. And he had done the one-man show and he had just sold the rights to make the film to Robert De Niro for a million dollars. And uh, we went, we met at Arthur Avenue, took a photographer with us and we had lunch. My go-between was an ADA who had grown up with him. Mm -hmm. So we did the whole interview and it was great. And we took pictures in front of where he saw the murder happen. And, and we took pictures. We went into the, the tenement and went up to his apartment door and drag knocked on it and all the sound in the apartment silenced. He's like, <laughs> th they think we're cops or something. Oh no. So it was, it was just, this is going to be a, a very popular story, right? I never wrote it. I made it too precious. Wow. And I, I'll save it for this next week. I'll save it for this next week. I'll have, I just should have just knocked it out. It's uh, a moment of greatest shame for me as a journalist back then. Uh, and Chaz, if you're listening, hey, I apologize. Yeah. And I had, for a while, I worked in Manhattan for the chief leader. And there was an editor. That's there. another newspaper, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was civil service oriented. If you were going to take the cops test, they would have study guides there. Or they, they would have news of when this civil service test was coming up or that service. And we'd interview union heads and the mayor and crap like that. The editor was, he could be loud, 
<laughs> okay. Verbally abusive, irrationally um, harsh. And that became impossible. My personality would change every Sunday night because I so dreaded going back. Because no matter what you did, I broke news, citywide news, national news. I interviewed Chief Bratton. He was the transit police chief at the time. And he said that his plan was to eventually, he'd love to be the chief of a united NYPD. Mm -hmm. And I broke that. And he also said he was going to get the transit police nationally nationally licensed, like the, there was accredited, nationally accredited, and to, to support how great NYPD was. And I brought it back and he laughed and said, oh, he, this, this is bullshit. He says, we're the NYPD. They're the NYPD. People come to them to learn. I said, this is what this guy's doing. This is what he's announcing. And no one else has it. He told me he's going to have a press conference next week. You can beat the city. You can beat all the dailies. Just get the fuck out of here. You know what you're talking about. I'm paraphrasing. It's mm -hmm. been mm -hmm. decades and decades. And the dailies went with the story. And one of my colleagues tossed the dailies. Front page news. Any. You gonna apologize to Chris? I think the next couple of weeks were a little more difficult. But you have I should have bailed on that a, a lot longer, so, a lot so the sooner. Challenge, the challenge there was external. It was yeah, a person and, and, you had to work with a boss or a supervisor that you had to deal with. And you have to be honest. Is and 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 it can go both ways. You can be hyper sensitive. And the guy is saying, I need that by Friday. Oh, my God, he's so unfair. That's not being unfair. But this kind of behavior proved to be unfair. It proved to be detrimental to the publication in terms of... Well, you know. eventually I walked out and, and went for unemployment. And this is part of the record, so I'm not talking out of turn. And uh, he came to the hearing about it and behaved in the way that he was. And the judge said, is that how you treat your employees? Full coverage. And it didn't end well as far as what happened with the publication, but it was something that I couldn't, you, everybody has to deal with their own things and whatever that was for him, there's nothing I can do, Godspeed to him. But it wasn't good for my outside writing. It wasn't good for my home life. It mm. wasn't good for the marriage. And you have to be in a healthy situation. Yeah. I you. Honestly, you can't, you can't quit everybody who tells you you need to work on that. Or you have this paragraph needs to, that's just, well, you have to be able to recognize abuse and walk away from it. Yeah. And I took way too long to put health and being as a, as the priority it needed it to be. But yeah. well, hey, I'm still alive. So there you yeah, go. Yes, I'm still standing. Okay. There's a couple of different areas. I hope that helps. Yeah. Well, so let's close this out with a, a quick writer's superpower. What would you say yours is? Letting you go first is one of my powers. <laughs> Dodging. We got to move fast. Okay. I would say that probably my greatest writer's superpower is uh, apparently inexhaustible curiosity. Mm hmm. I am curious to a fault, and yet it's not a fault. 
I'm curious about people. I'm curious about places. I'm curious about information and facts and figures and things, present day, future and past. So if I get cued into something, I want to know about it. I want to figure it out. I want to delve into it. And if I'm writing, I become curious about how this is going to turn out and how, where's the character going to go and all yeah. that. And so it just, it's just, I'm enjoying telling the story to myself. And once I, once I told that rough draft, then I'm curious to see how good can I make this? Oh, yeah. Make this. What's going to happen when, what's going to be removed? What's going to make it to the final? All of that. And at some point when it's finished and you've turned it in or you've turned it into the beta readers or your client or whatever, then you're nervous, but you're curious about what are they going to do? What, what are they going to think of it? How's it going to? And mm-hmm. then if it gets past that and it goes out into the audience, what are people going to think of it? So it just seems that somehow curiosity just plays in there as a, as more of a strength than anything else. So yeah. that's my superpower. I'm inexhaustibly curious. I'm not sure if this is a superpower. Okay. But I know, and that I've worked to get there for decades. Mm-hmm. And where there is, finally, I'm willing to try I'm willing to try this independent publishing stuff. I'm willing to try this different idea for a publication. I'm willing to try submitting and getting rejected and submitting somewhere else and finding those. I've had a good, I don't know, six or 12 uh, pu- things published since I've gotten to the point where I'm willing to try. Mm-hmm. So, that's when I would give everybody, if you're just willing to try, and Jita says about being playing baseball, yeah, you get a hit three times out of 10, and you're in the Hall of Fame. He always said baseball was a, a sport of disappointments. So is publishing. Mm. And the idea that three out of 10, and you're in the Hall of Fame, that means two out of 10 is where a lot of people who, who survive in this pre, uh, profession, and that's, that's where they survive. That for every 10 things they publish, maybe one or two get some kind of attention. And for some people, it's 30, 40, 50, 100 rejections. What is the Thomas Edison remark about? I've just discovered a thousand ways not to. Yeah, I haven't failed a thousand times. I just figured out a thousand ways where it didn't work. So that gets me closer to where it does work. And you can paraphrase that for publishing. This, it's not, as long as you're clear that the story works, some people just type and then send it out and they haven't even reread it. But if you have, if you've done the levels or the work to make it, a publishable piece of writing, then you can say it's a hundred places that it wasn't quite right for. The idea of finding a publisher or an editor or an agent who is in the right frame of mind at the right time to be open to connecting with your work That's like trying to get one shot into a small hole to kill a Death Star. 
<laughs> and on that note, <laughs> okay. So anyway, folks, as Chris has said uh, several times during the episode, I hope that some of our sharing here is useful to you. It comes from the heart. It comes from a good place. It comes from the years that we did experience these things, our trials and tribulations, but also our trials and errors. It's done well by us, even though we are not, again, sitting in a mansion somewhere on our own private island. We each have accomplished a great deal, and we've been fortunate enough and blessed enough to be able to do this. Because again, what was the remark in the Stephen King's piece? The work matters. The work matters. It does. Yeah. If storytelling matters to you, if writing that story matters to you, if writing that script or that poem matters to you, it has value. Yeah. And you should then go forth and tell your damn story. Here you go. All right, everybody. Alex, Take it's care. always a pleasure, sir. Absolutely, Chris. Take care, everybody. Oh, Please. Yes. once again, comments are right there. Subscribe, yeah. dislike, comment. Pound that like button. Pound hey, it. I'm, we're open to it all. because Yeah, and hey, if you're watching on YouTube and you had any kind of good feel about this, you can share it. It's okay with us. Yeah. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Peace.